John chapter number four is where we're going to be this morning. And John chapter number four, we're going to look at a familiar passage of scripture. If you've been safe or in church for any length of time, you've probably heard a sermon or two from this passage. And uh, I'm not going to cover anything brand new today. It's going to be a review type of a message, but just an encouragement for all of us uh, regarding this idea of thirsting no more. John chapter four, we're going to look in verses one through 10 to start with. And uh, if you, as you're re- finding that, if you'd stand uh, with me as we read this passage of Scripture together, and then uh, we're going to look at some of the, this very familiar uh, story and uh, event that took place in John chapter number 4. The Bible says in verse number 1, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, Though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. And let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful to be in your house. We thank you for a comfortable building to meet in. We thank you for the freedom that we have here in America to assemble together for this purpose. And uh, Lord, we thank you for your word now and uh, for how clear it is. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would guide and direct during this time. May it encourage us, help us. And Lord, if there's one here today that does not know Jesus as their Savior, that has never been saved, never been born again, Lord, whether they've been in this church for decades or this is their first time here, Lord, I pray that you would draw them to salvation today. And then for believers, I pray that you would help us to remember the day of our salvation and to be thankful for it and to have that joy rekindled once again. And uh, God, I pray that you would mightily use this time for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'm going to start by asking this question. Have you ever been really, really, really thirsty? I think all of us have had those days where we're doing a little extra than we normally do, and we kind of forget to drink. And uh, by the end of the day, um, my lips are chapped. I, I don't know if that ever happens to you. Sometimes um, I'm going to embarrass my son a little bit, Mark. Um, there, there's days when he gets so busy playing and so active, he forgets to drink water. And then by the end of the day, his, not only his lips are chapped, but around his lips are chapped. And so he has this like it almost looks like he has makeup on his mouth, around his mouth, and he looks like a clown. But we still love him. Um, so, uh, But that's what happens when we get so thirsty and we're not drinking enough water. 
there's a couple, I uh, wanted to give you a couple statistics here regarding the human need for water. Uh, the human body is made up two-thirds of water. The body absorbs cold water faster than hot water, which is interesting. I'm, by the time you are 70 years old, you will have required 1.5 million gallons of water you will have consumed. It's pretty crazy. Um, if you lose 2% of your body's water supply, your energy will decrease by 20%. A 10% decrease in water, you will be unable to walk. And a 20% decrease of your water supply, you will not be living. So water is pretty important to all of us. And, and what is true of the physical is also true of the spiritual. Because God has made us with a body, soul, and spirit that get thirsty. And if you fail to satisfy, satisfy that thirst of your spirit, soul, and body, it can become very dehydrated. And I was thinking about thirst in the Bible, and there are so many different uh, times where people were thirsty. I think of the Exodus when uh, the nation of Israel was released and, and delivered out of the bondage of e Egypt, and they're there, and and uh, they began to get very thirsty and, and began to complain to Moses and, and thinking that they're all going to die and, and how God provides that water from the rock, if you remember that. I think even of the Lord Jesus himself who experienced thirst, not only here in John chapter number 4, when he arrives to this well at noontime, he is thirsty, but then I think even if you can go to where Jesus was on the cross, one of the seven sayings of the cross was Jesus simply said, I thirst. So thirst is a normal human uh, need, but what we're going to be looking at here this morning from John chapter number four, we're going to be looking at a woman who was thirsty physically, yes, which is why she came to that well, but more than that, she was thirsty in her soul. And her soul was extremely thirsty, and she was looking in all the wrong places in order to quench the thirst of her soul. But as she meets this Jewish man by the well, her soul is quenched, and she thirsts no more as we get through this story. And it's a powerful, dramatic story that shows us how our own souls can be quenched and how uh, our lives can be radically transformed through the Lord Jesus Christ as well. And so with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into this message entitled Thirst No More. And I want to uh, really zero in on this woman of Samaria there at the well. Um, she's often called the woman at the well, uh, but she didn't stay at the well the entire time. In fact, God used her after she left the well uh, but she's a woman of Samaria, and she's unnamed. We don't know what her real name is, but uh, we're going to be examining this woman and, and, and zeroing in and focusing on her life this morning. And as we do that, I want you to think about your own life and, and see if it matches up with hers. Now, first, I want to look at, number one here this morning, her condition. Her condition. Now, before we get into that, let me just kind of give you a little bit of a a side note here, it is interesting that Jesus and the disciples are in Samaria. This was not a place that uh, normally Jews went through. So when, uh, basically, when, uh, when, when Jews needed to get from Galilee to um, the area that he was headed to, 
um, they would oftentimes go around Samaria, even though going through Samaria was actually a shortcut. It was actually a more direct route. And I don't know about you, but when I'm driving somewhere, I usually look for the fastest route to my destination. Um, and uh, from, from my house to the church, going, uh, going telephone from 19th up to Maine, and uh, Maine to Cornerstone Baptist Church is the most fast, uh, fast direct route possible. However, those of us in, in, in Moore know what I'm talking about, okay? That lovely train that is the thorn in my flesh, and in the whole town, that it's, it's the thorn in everybody's flesh here in Moore. So I have since tried to, whenever I need to be at the church at a certain time, to not risk it. It's, uh, it's, it's a major gamble to go that direction. Even though it's the most direct uh, path, I, I still many times go to 19th and deal with that traffic in order to bypass the train. And then it is kind of nice when I get to the church and I look on Main and there's a train stop and I'm like, oh, there we go. Praise the Lord. Okay. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. But those times when I think I'm going to gamble and then I'm like, oh, I knew it. There was a train there. Well, the disciples were making their way and they had a choice to make. And normally they would go twice as long around Samaria just so that they wouldn't have to come in contact with these less than human people called Samaritans. And uh, why did they view them that way? Well, um, when, the, when the northern kingdom of Israel was invaded and conquered in 7, 722 BC, so 700 years before this, Samaria was invaded and uh, they were conquered by the Samaritans. And the Samaritans had integrated and intermarried with their foreign conquerors and from the Jewish perspective were totally unclean. And for this reason, Jewish travelers going north to Galilee nearly always took the eastern route up the Jordan Gorge, even though it took twice as long. And there was a lot of animosity between these two regions. They, they didn't like each other. In fact, what, 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 what she said here in uh, verse number, uh, let's see, where, did, where is it? Verse number nine, it says, how is it that thou being a Jew askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. When Jews would see a Samaritan, they would be like, uh, get, get away from me. I can't be near you. I don't want to be near you. And so it was pretty special that Jesus showed up here in Samaria. And the Bible says he must needs go through Samaria in verse number four. And it, and it reminds me, it, it wasn't the most convenient or comfortable for the disciples. But uh, it reminds me that not only was he willing to go through Samaria, and, and why was he willing to do that? Was it because he wanted to save time and, and uh, beat the GPS time? You know, it says ETA, and you're trying to beat that. He wasn't, that, that wasn't it. It was because there was a woman there that he cared about, that he loved, that was thirsty. And there was only one thing that can quench the thirsting of her soul, and that was a relationship with him. And so he said, we're going to go through Samaria. Even though you guys aren't going to be comfortable, we're going to go through it anyway. And so as they do, they meet this woman, and well, Jesus does, because he sends the disciples to go buy some meat, and, um, and so Jesus meets this woman. But what, what about this woman do we notice from this passage? I mean, this woman had several things about her that made her 
extra thirsty. What, what were they? Well, first of all, she had a reputation. She had a reputation. Well, what about her uh, do we know from the scriptures? Well, first of all, she was a Samaritan. And we already mentioned that was a strike against her because when it came to relationships with Jews, no can do. She was despised because of her nationality, and she didn't make any of the choices that the Samaritans made way back then, 700 years ago, but she was still paying the price for what took place back then, and, and she was despised because of her nationality. And that nothing that she could do to help that, it just was the way it was. And, and she was a Samaritan, and, and uh, she had a reputation because of that. And no one wanted to deal with her, no Jews wanted to deal with her. So she was a Samaritan, and, and you might think, well, yeah, I have a reputation too. I'm maybe from a foreign country, and maybe I have a little bit of a different dialect, a different accent. I, for instance, I'm from California. I don't speak Oklahoman. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to develop that accent as time goes on. I just don't know that it's ever going to happen, my friend. Okay? I don't know if I'll have that Oklahoma twang. Okay? I've tried, and it's awkward. So I just stay with me. Um, you, you might not fit in exactly where you are for various reasons, but you can relate then to this Samaritan woman. So she had a reputation as a Samaritan, but she also had a reputation as a sinner. We learn later in this passage, and most of us know that this woman had five husbands, and the man that she was currently living with was not her husband. And as a result, she had a reputation there in society of not being really well accepted because she had a lot of uh, moral problems. And, um, and you say, well, boy, that, that can't all be her fault. She just must have found five really bad guys. And, and hopefully this sixth guy is going to fix everything. Well, I was studying this and thinking about this because I, I don't, I don't want to be too hard on her, but at the same time, she understood that what she was doing was wrong because if you go all the way down to verse number 29 in this passage, it says, come see a man which told me all things that ever, and what are the two little words after that? I did. Is not this the Christ? So she recognized that these were things that she did and, and, and there, there was sin in her life and she understood that. And as a result, she wasn't accepted even in, among the Samaritans because of her sin. I mean, she wasn't accepted in, among the Jews because of her being a Samaritan, but now she's not even fitting in with the Samaritans because of her sin. And uh, how do we know that? Where does, where does the Bible say that? We're, we're reading between the lines a little bit here because she is showing up by herself at noontime at the heat of the day when, when no one else was at the well, she was thinking she was going to go draw water by herself. No one was going to say anything about her. No one was going to comment or sneer at her. She was going incognito, and, and, uh, and no one would even see her there. Normally, the women would go to the well during the morning hours where it was a lot cooler in the day. And, and here, this woman, he, she, I'm sure, had tried that, but... After doing that and having all the other women kind of look at her and saying, hey, isn't that so-and-so? wonder how many marriages she's had now. Hey, who's your, who's your newest husband? What's his name? 
And kind of those kind of sarcastic remarks. And she's like, I'm done with that. I'm going to go at noon and I don't have to deal with that. I don't have to deal with the sneers and the remarks and the sighs and the whispering. I'm just going to, I'm just going to go at noon. So she was not accepted in society. And, and, and maybe, maybe you too have some skeletons in your closet that maybe people do know about. And, and you're, you have a reputation as a result. Maybe you have a past involved in all kinds of great, horrible wickedness. Look, the truth is all of us are sinners and we all have a past and all of us are guilty of sin. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But, but maybe you feel like you have this stigma that's following you everywhere you go. Well, you can relate with the woman at the well here, this Samaritan woman. She had a reputation, but then she also had relationships. And I already mentioned what those are, but let's look at what the Bible says about it here. And in, in uh, verse number 14, let's go ahead and pick it up there. Whosoever, Jesus says, drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And then Jesus here is taking a moment to expose her sin. Verse 16, Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. Well, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus uh, said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands. And he whom now or thou now hast is not thy husband, and that saidest thou truly. So here, here's the deal. She she was thinking, okay, after all these five failed marriages, she thought, well, maybe the sixth one's the charm. Maybe she didn't understand the expression. It's three times the charm, not six. But, but she was thinking, maybe the sixth one is going to be the one that is going to provide lasting satisfaction in my life. That, that this next guy is going to quench the thirsting of my soul. By the way, it is worth noting here, Jesus pointing out that the guy that she was living with was not her husband, which shows us that God does not approve of the more and more popular trend among young people of living together before marriage. Young people, when you are get out of your house and you meet that special someone and you start forming a relationship and it's clear that you guys are meant to be together, don't buy into the cultural norm of today saying, oh, it's okay to cohabitate. No, it's not okay. God does not approve of it. God called it out right here as sin, as wrong, and I am going to do that this morning too. Um, I realize that it's a pretty popular thing to do. Hey, we're going to just try it out, and, and, and it's okay because we're going to get married anyway, and we're just going to live together. I mean, it's going to be a lot cheaper if we kind of pool our money together and and it'll just work out so much better. No, my friend, it doesn't. Actually, the statistics go the opposite direction. It actually hurts marriages. When you do it God's way, when you wait, do it God's way, it's so much better. It is so much better. Do it God's way. That's a little bonus material here. That's not the real focus of the message. That's just for your benefit. And I would encourage young people to take heed to that. Do not live together before you're married. Well, we're going to be—we're going to just live in separate rooms. Sure, that'll work for a couple of weeks. Don't don't live together. 
wait and get married and do it God's way, do it right. But, but this Samaritan woman, she thought perhaps one more relationship will do it. This is going to bring me real satisfaction. But after five marriages, there was still emptiness. And this guy wasn't fulfilling her either. Here's the deal. There's a lot of people that think if I just get more money. And we talked a little bit about this last week when we talked about the blessed life. If I could just get more money or if I can just get married or... Some who think if I could just get out of this marriage or have children or get a newer vehicle or a better job or a bigger house, then I'll be satisfied, then I'll be happy. And I can't help but think that that's what this Samaritan woman thought. Hey, I know I've had five failed marriages, but uh, this sixth guy, I really have. I, I, there's some good signs there. I, I think that this one's going to work out. And so she was willing to even just live with him without being married. Sadly, I'm telling you, just as it was for her, it will be for you. You're going you're gonna to keep thirsting. Your soul will not be satisfied with the things of this world. You, try, you get as much as you want. We, we took a moment last week to look at Solomon, and we won't do that again. But, but he had it all, and he still came up empty. She had relationships. Maybe you're thinking, if I just have, and you fill in the blank, then I'll be happy. No, no. This, this world cannot satisfy the thirsting of our soul. It can't. It's unable to. It's impossible. She had relationships. But then thirdly, I want us to see she had religion. She had religion. If you uh, go to verse number 12 here, well, let's pick it up in verse number 11. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob? So she's kind of flexing a little bit of religious history here, and she's showing how much she knows. Hey, our father Jacob gave us this well, and are you better than him? And uh, the answer is yes, but he's going to get to that in a moment. He doesn't immediately stop her right there, which uh, just shows his patience and love. But then this isn't the only time she flexed her religion. In Go in verse number 19. The woman saith unto him after she calls her out or after he calls her out on, on her sin. Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. And then verse 20, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. So she's wanting to get into a spiritual, theological debate with Jesus. Good luck with that. Um, she had no idea who she was asking this question to, but, um, but she was talking about her father, Jacob, and then she talked about her fathers in verse number 20. She talked about her religion and her maybe her religious background. And, and as I was thinking about that, I, I got to thinking about the people here in Oklahoma. I mean, this is part of the Bible Belt, is it not? I often say this is the buckle of the Bible Belt. <laughs> I mean, there's so many people here who have religion. They have some church background. Maybe they grew up in church. Maybe even they would say that their father or grandfather was a preacher and, and faithful in church. And, and maybe they grew up in church. And, and yeah, I, I, I've been in church all my life. But look at here's the deal. Just like this woman who had religion, 
you too can have religion and be completely lost and on your way to hell. Absolutely. This woman had religion, but she did not have salvation. You may have a religious background, but that does not mean you are automatically a Christian. Oh, I've asked so many people, when did you become a Christian? And their response is, oh, I've always been a Christian. And I absolutely cringe every time I hear that. And what they mean is, oh, I was raised in church. My mama and daddy took me to church since I can remember. And so I've always been a Christian. No, you've been in church. That doesn't mean you're a Christian. No more than a car or you being in the garage makes you a car. You can be in church all your life and never be a Christian. It is so possible. And here's why I know it's possible, because Jesus said that many will say to me in that day, have we not done all of these things in your name? And he's going to say, I, depart from me, I never knew you. Now, I'm thankful that I was um, what is considered a drug baby. I was drugged to church Sunday morning, and I was drugged to church Sunday night. I was drugged to church all the times the doors were open. My parents did bring me to church, and I'm thankful for that. But again, just because I was raised in church and went to church did not mean that I was automatically a Christian. And I'm not trying to dismiss or downplay your religious upbringing as totally useless this morning, but, I, but just because you were raised in church doesn't mean you're a Christian. Here's the deal. I went to church for 12 years of my life, and I was not a Christian. I was on my way to a eternal hell. I heard the gospel I don't know how many times. I was confronted with the gospel so many times. I learned about Jesus. I learned about the Bible. But I did not know Jesus. Big difference. And it wasn't until I was 12 years old on Christmas night, I was going through a little booklet that I had to go through for um, the boys club I was a part of there at the church. And, and it said, please write the date that you Receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. And I remember looking at that thinking, wow. I have heard about it all my life. I've been in church, but I have never done the most important thing. I've never trusted Christ as my Savior. I can make that decision right here, right now. I know I can. But if I do, I know that everybody is going to think, boy, Eric, I thought you've already been saved. I, I Why did you wait this long? And and, and so that pride began to uh, kind of creep up in my heart. And then, and then I thought, you know what? This is the most important decision I know that I need to make. I need to make it at some point in my life. Right now is the time. So right then and there on Christmas night, I received the greatest Christmas gift ever, salvation and eternal life. So here's my story. I had religion, but I did not have salvation. I'm speaking to everybody. I'm speaking to several people. Dozens of people who are here in church right now. My question is not, are you in church? My question is, do you have salvation? This woman had religion. She talked about her father, Jacob. She knew about all the history. She knew about all that, but she did not have salvation. Her soul was thirsting, and, and she was trying all the wrong things to fulfill that and to quench that thirst, but they were coming up empty. She had religion, but she did not have salvation. Religion never takes anyone to heaven. In fact, religion actually takes people to hell. Because religion tells people to just do more. When the true gospel says it's already been done. 
Jesus died on the cross. We don't have to do anything else. So she had a reputation. She had relationships. She had religion. But she was still thirsty. There was something missing in her soul. So we see her condition, but I want us to see, secondly, her confusion. As she converses with the Lord Jesus, she's confused about a couple of very important things. And many people share that same confusion. They're also confused about these things. First of all, she was confused about water. She was confused about water. In verse number uh, 10, he says this. If uh, I'm sorry, how about we go... We go to verse number 13. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, pointing to the well. Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And then verse number 15, here's what her response was to that. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. See, she was still thinking about physical water at this point. She was thinking, hey, if you fix this little issue in my life of physical thirst, that would be really swell. That would be neat to have you come and meet a temporary uh, problem in my life. Now, here's, here's the deal. A lot of people think that, hey, if I just add Jesus to my life, then he's going to help me with some of my little problems in my life. And uh, he's going he's gonna to help me get out of debt. He's going to help me be well, healthy, wealthy, and wise. He, he's going to help me, and, and I'm going to be so blessed. That the problem is they're, they're looking at G- Jesus like he's a genie in a bottle that is obligated to uh, meet his every wish or your every wish. But that's not who Jesus is. If you remember back, or if you go, if you fast forward from John chapter 10 to when Jesus uh, triumphantly enters into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, people are laying down palm leaves and, 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 and their garments, and, and they're, they're yelling, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and they're, they're excited, they're cheering for him, and they're excited because Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, and they think, that Jesus is coming to set them free from, not their sin, but from Roman oppression. When in reality, Jesus came to set them free from a greater oppression, and that was the bondage of sin, is what Jesus came to set them free from. And so we see those same people who are cheering for him as he enters into Jerusalem, just a couple, a chapter later or something like that, they're the ones yelling, crucify him, crucify him, when, he, when they realize, oh, he's not here to take away my taxes. He, he's not here to make my life easier. He's here to forgive me and set me free from my sin. Yeah, I'm not so interested in that. I want to be wealthy. I want to have a joy and, and, and not have these Roman guards walking around me all the time. He, was, he came to set them free from the most important thing. And we see that in several places in the scriptures. It was Jesus who said to Zacchaeus after Zacchaeus got saved that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. In fact, the very name Jesus given to him at birth signified why he came to this earth. Matthew one twenty one, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people 
from their sins, not from Roman oppression, not from taxes, but from our sin. John the Baptist said of Jesus when he saw him in John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. That's what we needed most. 1 John 3.5, And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Someone said if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been more money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But since our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent us a Savior. And that's why Jesus came. It wasn't so that he, he could just help her life be a little more convenient. Because she was thinking, hey, it sure be nice not to have to come back to this well. It's a lot of work. It, this water pot gets heavy on the way back down the hill. It sure be nice if... You kind of solved my problems. That's not why Jesus was come. And it wasn't just to fulfill that need. It was to fulfill the greatest need of her heart and her life. The thirsting of her soul, not the thirsting of her physical life. Because we know that she had to drink water after John chapter number 4. So she was confused about water, but she was also confused about worship. See, she thought worship was all about a place. We, we know that in verse number, um, verse number 20, when she realizes again, she's confronted about her sin, and she's like, I perceive that our prophet. And then she goes, hey, since you're a prophet, let's talk about the place of worship. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship? Which one is it? What say you, Mr. Prophet? See, she was confused that worship really needed to be about a place. When in reality, what Jesus was about to explain to her, that worship is about a person. Now, let's read that. Let's read what Jesus said in verse 21. Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. He said, she was asking, which one is it? This mountain or in Jerusalem? And he says, neither. None of the above. Verse 22, ye worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. There's no location mentioned there. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So, he says, look, it's not about the place. It's about worshiping the Father anywhere and everywhere. And you say, well, wait a minute, Pastor. Are you saying that we don't worship God at church? No, we do worship God at church, but that's not the only place we ought to be worshiping God. See, salvation or worshiping God is not meant to just be on one, in one place and, and limited to one place that we worship God on Sunday in church and then the rest of the week we go and live like the devil. No, that's not it. You can't call that worship. Worship with true worship is worshiping God no matter where we're at, at all times, in spirit and in truth. Now, in the Old Testament days, there was a place of worship. There was the tabernacle for the longest time and then after that, the temple was built and then that was the place of worship. 
And in the New Testament day, you say, well, where's the, where's the temple today? It must be the church, right? No, no, no. As believers, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so God dwells within us, and, and, and we can worship Him anywhere. We can worship Him on the way to work tomorrow. We can worship Him while we're at work tomorrow. We can worship Him while we're at school. We can worship Him when, anywhere. We don't have to be in one specific location. Okay, now I need to worship God when I step on the property of 424 East Main Street. Now I have to worship God. We ought to worship God here together. But we also ought to worship God as we leave the parking lot and go to wherever we're going to go to lunch today. Uh, she was confused about worship, and so many today are, worship, are confused about worship because, seriously, that's what they do. They come to church on Sunday, and they put on their worship mask. They, they, they say, okay, well, it's Sunday. It's time to worship, and, and it is, and it is a special day of worship, but then Monday doesn't really matter because that was Sunday and that was at church, but now I'm at home and now I get to do whatever I want to do and it's not about worshiping God anymore. I'll have to wait till next Sunday to worship God again. No, 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 no. See, we now have the privilege of worshiping God anywhere at any time, all the time. She was confused about worship and so many people are as well. So she was confused. But I want us to see, and this is my favorite part here, her, her conversion, her con conversion, her conversion, her salvation. When, when she realized a couple aspects, her whole life was completely changed. That thirsting in her soul that she was trying to find quenching from other areas and other directions that were not, not fulfilling her. Once she realized that, she came to Jesus Christ and, were, and was gloriously saved. Her salvation came when a couple things took place. First, she understood that she was a sinner before God. We already read it, verses 16 through 19, when Jesus confronts her about her different relationships. I won't read it again, but verse number 19, she says, I perceive that thou art a prophet. She was like, whoa, I didn't know you could tell all the things that I have done in my past. She was blown away that, uh, and she was exposed in her sin. See, salvation is only going to come when we realize that we too are sinners in a desperate need of a Savior. And all of us, every single one of us, is a guilty sinner before God. I see some uh, fans going here. Is it a little warm in here to you as well? You got, you got the AC going? Okay, so it'll cool off a little bit. It's really hard to adjust with this, with this weather because sometimes it's super cold, sometimes it's not. So thanks for bearing with us on that. But all of us are sinners before God. Paul said it this way in Romans 3. He says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an upland sepulcher. With, with their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of ashes under their lips. Who, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And in verse 23 of that chapter says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us have sinned. You say, boy, I already know all this, Pastor. Yeah, not everybody does. A lot of people think, well, I'm good enough. 
No, there's no one who is good enough to get to heaven on their own. I was reading about, um, and I saw something um, on Fox News about uh, one of the actors um, who had cancer, Shannon Dortry. I can't even say her last name. You might remember. Uh, she used to be an actor back in the 90s. And uh, she's had cancer, and it looks like she's going to be um, she's going to be dying soon. And one of the comments she made was, "I would be worried about death, but the the, the good thing is, I'm." Or she said, "I would be worried about death if I was a bad person, but the good thing is, I'm a good person." See, she thinks that because she's a good person, she's going to get to heaven. I'm sorry, it's not the way it works because the truth of the matter is even our righteousness are as filthy rags according to the scriptures. In the book of James, we read, whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Everyone is guilty, just like this thirsty woman of Samaria. We're just as guilty. You and I all are. The second, she realized not only that she was a sinner, but she realized who Jesus really was. Verse 25, we haven't read this verse yet. Um, at verse 24, they that worship God must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh. The Messiah is coming, which is called Christ. And when he has come, he will tell us all things. She said, yeah, I, I know that the Messiah is coming. I, I believe that. And when he's here, um, he'll, he'll, he'll explain it all. Well, Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee, Am he? What a powerful statement. She basically said, you're looking at him. The one who's been talking to you, that's the Messiah. I'm the Christ. I am the Son of God. And once she realized that he was not a genie in a bottle under any obligation to fulfill her wishes that he was the promised Messiah, the eternal Son of God, that he was the creator of all things and the Savior of the world. And that's when the moment she realized that and she was saved. By the way, salvation only comes by hearing the word of God as well. Romans 10, verse 17, Then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. See, once she realized her sinful condition before God and that Jesus is Indeed, the Savior of the world, that was the moment she was converted. That was the moment she was gloriously saved. Well, what about you? Have you been gloriously saved? Has there been a time when you understood your sinful, lost condition before God and that Jesus is the Christ, the Lamb of God, who died on the cross for your sins and rose again? If not, today's the day. And then one last quick thought here before we're dismissed, her change. We see her conversion, but then we see her change. The encounter does not quite end with him saying, I that speak unto thee am he. Verse 27 talks about his disciples coming back and were kind of blown away that he was even talking with this woman, but they were afraid to talk to him about it and ask him about it. Verse 28, though, the Bible says, The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Her change was absolutely evident. I, I, I see it uh, in the fact that she was willing to leave that water pot. Remember, she was physically thirsty, but that, that physical need uh, was definitely down on the list of importance in her life at that point. 
Once her, her greatest need had been met, those other needs were not near as important. And so she left that water pot and she was excited about telling others about Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And we see that in her life, in that moment of her realizing who Jesus really was. And when she placed her faith in him, it made all the difference. She was willing to leave that water pot and say, I don't, I don't need that anymore. Now, she did need to drink water physically again. But it symbolizes the fact that that was no longer the priority in her life anymore. The physical, not so important. Spiritual, much more important. And then as she goes into the city and tells these men, now the Bible doesn't say that she was excited. The Bible does not use the word excited here. But I, I cannot, in my mind, imagine her going to those men and saying to them, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? If, if I'm wrong and I get to heaven and I find out that that's how she said it, I'll, like, I'll stand corrected or I'll fly corrected. I don't know how it's going to work there in heaven. I'm, I'm, I just have an inkling that when she came to the city, she did not walk. I think she just bolted, and she was excited about the fact that the Messiah is here, and she finally got to meet him. By the way, this is the first time that Jesus mentioned to anybody that he was the Messiah. Pretty spectacular that he chose this woman to reveal that to. Pretty awesome. But she goes and, and she's going and telling everybody, hey, you've got to meet this guy. He told me everything that I did. And it's the Christ. It's the Messiah. It's the promised Son of God. He's here. He's alive. He's with us. She was excited. Can I encourage you to not let, to not let the devil steal the joy of your salvation? There's so many Christians who would genuinely be saved we're walking around talking like I was talking. You know, I'm, I'm saved. And there's no joy. The song we sung a moment ago in the service, there ought to be some excitement. There ought to be some joy in our hearts and lives. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And, and here this, this, this woman had that joy in her heart as she goes and explains that she had found the Christ. There's more I want to say about that, but, but don't lose the joy and the excitement of your salvation. Maybe it'd be good for you to remember what it was like before you got saved in that moment of salvation to replay that in your mind from time to time. Good idea for you to do that. The last, last thought here that I want to share with you before we wrap this up. Her excitement was absolutely effective. It was very effective. If you look here in verse number 29, she says, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did is not the Christ. Verse 30 says this, Then they went out of the city and came unto him. So as she's going and telling them, they're like, Well, I guess we should probably go see what she's talking about. Let's go find out who this, who this man, this Messiah is. So the Bible does say that 
many, many did go to see Jesus, but then that's not all. Verse 39. It says this, And many of the Samaritans, many of the Samaritans of that city, believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that ever I did. She was, she was effective. And uh, <coughs> verse 40 says, So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And said unto the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying. Like, we don't want you to get too much credit here. Uh, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. But this woman had a great impact. And... She was despised in that society, but God used her in a mighty way. God took her mess and made her a message. God can do that with all of us. All of us are a mess without Christ. All of us are empty without him. But once we have him, God can use us in a mighty way to make an impact like this woman was. By the way, she used her testimony and uh, your testimony, by the way, is one of the most effective tools you can use in witnessing. Scripture is obviously very powerful. I mean, God promises to bless his word as it goes forth, but, but also your testimony. I mean, Paul used his salvation testimony on two occasions in the book of Acts to get the gospel to others. We're at the very beginning of December. On this Christmas, we have an opportunity to get the gospel out. What are we going to do with it? We have these flyers. We have the message. What are we going to do? You have an opportunity uh, to get the gospel out. Let's be excited about it. Let's not let anything steal our joy this Christmas. And let's use our testimony as a witnessing tool to get the message out like this woman did. Let's be looking for people that we can say to them, hey, look, I found the Christ. I found the one who quenched the thirst of my soul. I found the way, the truth, and the life. And I'd love to show you how you can know him too. The effectiveness. So my question for you is this. Is your soul thirsty today? The things of this world cannot satisfy it. Religion won't quench it. Only a relationship with Jesus Christ will. So how about it? Then to my brothers and sisters in Christ today, have you lost the joy of your salvation? I want to encourage all of us to let God use us and our testimony to make a difference in the lives of others this Christmas season. With that, let's have a word of prayer.